series was this. What would it look like to live limitless? If you took all the limits off of your life, if there were no limits, I like asking the question, if you had unlimited resources and it was impossible to fail, what would you do? If you, if you had unlimited resources and it was impossible to fail, what would you do? You know, I love, I love that because it just takes the limits off. It's like, I could do anything, you know. I, I could fly. I believe I could fly. Remember, I, I, I sang that one and I decided I wasn't going to sing it again. And, and so what would it look like if you live limitless? The limitless life is a life fully empowered by the Holy Spirit to be everything God wants you to be and to do everything God wants you to do. One of our verses over this series has been Mark 9, verse 23. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible for him who believes. All things. If you've been running up against limits, if there's been things in your life, and whether it be healing or whether it be in your home or whether it be just, you, you know, Joyce Meyer wrote a book called Battlefield of the Mind, right? And sometimes the, the obstacles are right up here, right? And the, the, the cool thing about this verse, Jesus says, all things are possible. For him who believes. I love that. And today we're heading into um, this last sermon of the of this series called Jesus, the Limitless Life. And uh, today's text, if you, if you have your Bibles or you can follow up on the screen, is this, Romans 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Isn't that good news? It's really good news. I love just knowing that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is in me. I love knowing that. It just makes a, a world of difference. It's like, oh, I can actually do this thing. I mean, even when it gets hard, like I can actually live this life. Like everything that Jesus did, I, I, what's that song? Anything you can do, I can do better, right? I don't know if that applies here or not, but it just popped in my head. So I sang it. Main thought today is this. If we could just get one thing out of this message is this. Jesus pushed past limits so that we could live the limitless life. Jesus pushed past limits so we could live the limitless life. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us through three limits that I believe he pushed past. And he pushed past a lot of things, but just three that I, that I sense for today that I want to talk about. And, and just I'm going to kind of give you a preview. What I want to do at the end, I, we're going to have two uh, responses. And I'm going to try to keep this as short as possible, probably about an hour and a half. And then, uh, and so we're going to, but I want to I do two things. One is you may be in this room and you don't know if, if, uh, if you were to die today, if you were going to go to heaven. And man, I just want, I want to give you that opportunity. Uh, it's such an amazing thing. People think like Christianity is boring. And I'm like, anybody know Christianity is not boring? Oh my goodness, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. And I love the, the verse in the Bible that says it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. And so he's not sitting up there with a baseball bat ready to bonk you, right? Like he, he actually loves you, and, and it's his kindness that wants to draw you today. And so maybe it's you. Maybe you want to just make, just make sure that if you were to die today, you were going to go to heaven. And, and so by the end of this time, I want to give you that opportunity so you can be thinking about that through this whole time. Maybe this is your day. And then guess what? At the end, there's something else for the rest of us and for those that, that want to commit to Jesus is I want to have an opportunity where we can uh, be empowered by Holy Spirit. And so I want to keep this, uh, I, want to, I want to just uh, try to cut a little bit of my message so that you can come up here if you want to the altar and we're just going to um, have a time being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Allowing him to just fill us and empower us. How many know, like, you could have some intellectual transaction and say a bunch of words and get saved, so to speak. But, man, there's a, there's a deal of needing power to live this thing out. You can't do it on your own. You just can't. And so let me just talk about these limits that Jesus pushed past. And I believe he pushed past them so that you and I could also push past them. And he was a, he was a model for us. This, this uh, first limit that I felt like uh, I saw that Jesus pushed past was temptation. Jesus pushed past temptation, and it's a, um, kind of in an opposite manner. Sometimes I, I give examples of, of these points, and here's an example of maybe, maybe what not to do. There was a woman, and it's nobody that you know, okay? So if you're going to ask me afterward, who's this woman? You don't, you don't know the woman, um, or maybe you do. Maybe it's you. Uh, there's a woman. She, she bought an extravagant dress, really, really expensive, and uh, her husband asked, you know, why did it have to be so extravagant and so expensive? And and, and, you know, many of you ladies, maybe you've been in the same position. And she said this. She said, well, the devil made me buy it. And the husband asked, well, why didn't you say, get behind me, Satan, right? You know, that's a good response. Get behind me, Satan. She said, well, I did. 
And he said it looked as good in the front as it did in the back, so I bought it. So, so that's, an, that's not resisting. That is not resisting temptation. That is totally full on giving in. Um, on a little bit more serious note, there's an example. Uh, uh, men who trap animals in Africa. Maybe you've heard about this before. Um, there's men who trap animals in Africa for zoos in America. And one of the hardest animals to catch is the ring-tailed monkey. And I don't know if you guys have ever tried to catch a ring-tailed monkey, but it's a, it's a booger to catch a ring-tailed monkey. Um, and when you, when you read about it, it's the, the, the Zulus of that con- continent have figured out a way, and it's really simple. They catch them um, by um, these melons, these melons that grow. And what they do is they cut a little hole in these melons that are growing on a vine, and it's just small enough uh, or big enough so that the ring-tailed monkey's hand can get in, and the seeds of that melon are actually like the favorite delicacy of the ring-tailed monkey. So he, he, they puts his hand in, and he grabs a fistful of seeds, but when he grabs the fistful of seeds, he can't pull his hand out. It's, it's, an, it's an amazing thing. And uh, so he, he puts it in, and he can't pull his hand out. The fist is now larger than the hole, and the monkey will pull and tug, screech and fight for the melon for hours, but he can't get free of the trap unless he gives up the seeds which he refuses to do. And so meanwhile, the Zulus sneak up, sneak up behind him and, and nab him. And so if you ever want to catch a ring-tailed monkey, now you know how to do that. And it's this whole example of, of you know, resisting sin, resisting temptation. And these are two examples of what not to do. Jesus gave us a perfect example of what to do. And, and he, he, I, would, I think one of the biggest obstacles that Jesus pushed past for you and I was temptation. He pushed past it. He was, and he was, the Bible says he was tempted in every way, just as you and I are, except what? Without sin. Except without sin. And, uh, and so I, just, I, I was just asking myself about this particular obstacle. Why, why did Jesus push past temptation? What was the motivation? And, and here, here it is. Because he saw you. And he saw me. The motivation for Jesus to push past temptation was you and me. The Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That joy, you put your, your name in there, you know, for Jonathan, set before him, he endured the cross. For you, right? It, it's, it's for you. You can insert your name where it says joy because for the joy set, you and I are the joy. And that was a pretty, pretty big motivation for Jesus. That's why he endured the cross. It's, why, it's the why behind pushing past the obstacle of temptation. He, he knew he had to be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Setting us free from the punishment of sin. There, it, it, there was no other way. He had to be a perfect sacrifice for the punishment of our sin. The, the Bible actually says that Jesus became sin. It says he who knew no sin became sin for us. And, and took the punishment of our sin at the cross. I, I like thinking about this um, in this way. I, I mean, I, I'm actually, if you were to get to know me, you know, I'm, I'm such a grace guy. And, and you know, People come from all kinds of different angles on this, and, and I'll tell you this, there's some pendulum swings. How many know there's some pendulum swings on grace, you know? You could get stuck on the side that, that just says you can do whatever you want to do, and there's, there's no punishment, no consequence, and, and all roads lead. I actually have a friend of mine that wrote a, a book about that there's not a hell. Do you know that there's not a hell? That's actually, that's wrong. Don't, don't believe that. That's, a, that's bad advice. So, but he wrote a book about that. I don't, I can't, I mean, I don't know how you can read the Bible and see that there's like, and say there's not a hell right? But, but, uh, but I, I love looking at this concept of grace because grace is, is just powerful. It's amazing. In fact, I was talking to my friend the other day, um, and he's a pastor in town, and I said, this is what I, man, I, I believe this about grace. I believe that grace is, it's almost like, it's almost too good to be true. It's not too good to be true, but I, when I think about the grace of God, I almost have to think like, it's, it's just, it's like, it's almost too good to be true. It's like, it's almost like, like, really, I can't work for this thing? I can't earn it? Like, I, I really, like, like, it's free? And, and he forgives me every time? Like, he forgives my sins in the past and the present and the future? Like, it's all like, like, really? Like, if the cross was that? So, I understand if he wanted to forgive me seven times. I mean, that's a, that's a big amount. But he continues to forgive me time after time. Like, no way. Like, and so when, I, when, you, when we talk about grace, when I think about grace, I just think, like, it's almost, it's like, it, it's almost unbelievable. It's like, I, have you ever just sat there and thought, I just don't deserve this? Man, I just, man, 
If you were to know my past, right, if you were to know my story, if you were to know, man, it's just, man, I almost don't deserve this. And Jesus is like, hey, hey, I love you that much. It's, it's for you. I, I think about it like this. It's, it's um, you know, because you can get weird when you talk about just this overwhelming grace. And, uh, and, but but let, let me bring it into balance. It's like this. It's like there's, a, uh, there's the punishment of our sin and there's the consequence of our sin. And th- I believe this wholeheartedly that Jesus took the punishment of my sin to the cross. And, and it was like this. It was like if, if you have a, a bank account and, and uh, Jesus has a bank account. And, and in Jesus' bank account, it was uh, full of righteousness. And in your bank account and my bank account, it was full of sin, maybe, some, maybe a little bit of righteousness. But even if there was some righteous acts, like how many know that our best is like filthy rags compared to his glory, right? So maybe we did some good things, but there was a lot of, you know, and maybe some of you have a lot of, a lot of sin in your, in your uh, account, you know. Um, I'm going to think, who, who has the most sin in their bank account? No, no. Maybe some of you have sin in your bank account, and, and you know, maybe some of you are like, you know, I, you know, I've got, maybe you grew up, like, you were saved when you were three, and you just, like, there's been, you've never done anything wrong, right, you know, and you still have, maybe you just got a little S, and you've got, you got some, but in, but no matter where it is, the Bible says that we've all, what, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. In other words, what you earn because of your sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so this is what happens. you got these two bank accounts, and God looked at the, at the righteousness that was in Jesus' account, and he, and he took all of that out of Jesus' account, and he put it in yours and my account, and he says, you guys get to live. And he took the sin and the junk out of my account and your account, and he put it in Jesus' account, and he says, you die. And that was what happened on the cross. And he took the punishment of my sin. I mean, it was just an amazing thing. And you know that it would be an illegal transaction for me to be punished again for uh, something Jesus was punished for. You know that it would be illegal for me to be punished for something that Jesus, it would be double jeopardy. I mean, we have a whole legal system that, that, that would agree with me. You can't get punished twice, right? You can only get punished. And Jesus took the punishment of my sin. But guess what? This is where we get caught up is this consequence thing. Like, there's still consequences for my sin. The punishment was taken care of, but how many know that I could sin royally and I could lose my family, huh? How many know I could sin royally and I could lose my position, at, at, at least in my career, that'd be a big deal. How many know I could sin royally and I could land myself in prison or all those things? Or what about this consequence? I could, I could find myself distant from God. No, the Bible says that my sin actually grieves the Holy Spirit. And when I look at the, that word grieve, it's like, it's a, it, when you, you know I mean, any of you ever grieved over the loss of somebody before? Yeah. Gr- grief really is an intense, like, pain over the loss of intimacy with somebody. And so you could, you, could, um, you could be grieving because someone died or you could be grieving because somebody betrayed you or because, you, you know, someone moved across the country or whatever. But you're grieving because there's distance now. And so what happens with Holy Spirit is he grieves over my sin because every time I sin, I put distance between me and him. And it's not him sitting there with a baseball bat wanting to beat me. It's because, like, he just longs for closeness. And so I just put distance. But the good news is that every time I look up and, and want to come back, it's like, boom, it's right there. Every time I gaze on him, it's like I close the gap of the distance between, between God and I. Anybody you want to close the gap this morning? Close the gap of that distance? I mean, that's, that's, the, heart, that's the heart cry of the Father. And that's really what, what our sin does is it puts distance. It, it, one, one more thought. Maybe, maybe you feel like I'm beating a dead horse this morning, but I've got the mic and you don't. And, and, uh, and, and, but I, I love this thing about, um, you know, like righteousness. It really means like right standing before God. It's a legal term. And so I'm righteous because of the cross. Because of Jesus, I am completely righteous. I'm right standing. But I, I feel like, like righteousness is different than right relationship. I could be right standing, but not in, in right relationship. And so it's, I, I always use the example of my wife and I. We're legally married. We file, file jointly on our taxes, and I'll get all the benefits of, of, being, of being married in the, right, in, the, in the state of Nebraska. But, that's a, but there, what if, and it is totally possible, there's relationships like this all across the world. We could be living in different states. 
We could be living in different houses and we'd still be married, right? We could still be legally married and, and getting all the benefits of all that. But how many know that's not right relationship? And Jesus is longing for right relationship with you and I. And some of you know, you walked in this room today and, and, and this is, the, this is the, what you do every year on Easter. And he's just looking at you and he's saying, hey, guess what? I want right relationship with you. And Jesus pushed past this obstacle of temptation so that we could have that relationship. It, he, he saw it. He saw you. He saw me. He, he knew what was riding on the line. He knew what was riding. The how, how, how I want to I like talk for a second about how he did it. How did he push past? I know why, but how. And the how is so closely related because look at this. If your why is big enough, it almost becomes your how. If your why, do you understand that? If, if, the, if the why is big enough, it almost becomes your how. It's like, it's like he saw you, and then the how just kind of fell into place because whatever it would take, I'm going to get it done. My why is that big. That's what Jesus was saying. He's like, my why is so big that whatever it takes, I'm going to get it done. It was, I, I, I look at his how was, was really focused in prayer. That's one thing that, you know, just as a side note, I'm sure glad he models that because how many know that we get out of focus sometimes? Man, for me to go after my goals and go after my dreams and to, to conquer sin and all that type of stuff, so I, I've got to keep my eyes on the prize. And I look at the example of Jesus and the focus that he had all the way, tunnel vision to the cross. Tunnel vision to the cross. This, uh, this word temptation, it, it's actually, when you, when you read it in the Bible, there's, uh, there's different, it's, it's the same word in the original language, but there's uh, two different definitions for it. It depends on the context. And one, one uh, part of, one definition is, is, like, is kind of like the lady with the red dress, right? And that she, you know, she bought it and, and she said, get behind me, Satan. You remember that joke at the beginning? Okay. All right. Uh, so one part is, is the enticement to sin. And temptation, whether, whether it's arising from desires from within or, or outward circumstances. But the other t uh, word for temptation really has to do with adversity, affliction, trouble, sometimes sent by God. And you, you know that God sometimes tests us to, you know, test our faith and things like that. And so sometimes sent by God, sometimes sent by the devil, right? You know, and, uh, and so it's, it's trials and temptation just like that. And so Matthew 6, 13, Jesus was talking about the trials. He was talking about the things that we go through. And he says this, um, he says, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is how he was telling his disciples to pray. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. There's something in the human heart that says, Lord, if you can spare me the trial, do it. But if I have to go into the trial, then deliver me from the evil potential within it. And that's, what, that's what, what Jesus, he was teaching us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And it was basically like this. He's like, he's like, deliver me from this trial if you can. But if you can't deliver me from the trial, at least deliver me from the evil potential within it. And, and it's got to be our heart cry. That was Jesus' heart cry. Hebrews 4. I referenced this uh, a little bit ago. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. I like this because Jesus was tempted in both forms of the definition of temptation. He, he, he understood all of the above. He, he, and, and maybe some of you, you see the word temptation and you think, oh, that's bad. And, and it is, but, but listen, it's like temptation isn't the sin. It's the, temptation is like the crossroads. Temptation is the, is the opportunity to choose right or to choose wrong. Temptation is, and we all stand there, and Jesus stood at that crossroads. And he knew exactly what we're going through. He was, the Bible says, tempted in every way, tempted in, in all the points that we're tempted. Matthew 4 says that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I like this thought that just says that God doesn't lead us towards sin, but he'll lead us into trials and testing. And and I love what happens in Matthew 4 because Jesus goes into the wilderness led by the Spirit of God and he conquers temptation. The Bible actually shows us that he conquered the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Man, any of you ever felt, one of, you, know, you don't have to raise your hand, but I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll raise a couple. Like, man, oh man, I'm so, so glad that Jesus pushed past temptation. I'm just so glad that he pushed past that limit. 
1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape. Oh, I love that. Any of you ever want a way of escape? And Jesus says that he'll give you a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Hmm. I... uh, it just as I'm kind of wrapping up this point, I, I look at Jesus, I look at this, this Easter message, and I see just the fact that he was not only tempted with sin and fleshly desires, but he was actually tempted uh, to throw in the towel to take the easy way out. Do you know, did you know that? That Jesus was tempted to, to, to take the easy way out. The Bible says he could have called 10,000 angels to save him if he wanted to, and he didn't. Um, right there in the garden was a moment, if you guys remember in Matthew 26, Verse 36, it says this. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said, then he said to them, listen, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And it was a, it was a moment here. This is one of the most intense moments in Jesus' life. And I believe that there was a temptation there to take the easy way out. I mean, he was even asking, you know, you, you may debate this with me, but I don't think Jesus wanted to go to the cross. He was fully human, and, and he was fully God. He pushed pause on his ability to operate as, as God. That's what Philippians 2 said while he was here on earth. And he was operating fully as a man connected to God and connected to Holy Spirit. I believe here in the garden, he was looking at not only the physical pain, but the emotional pain, all this stuff. And I think he was just saying, hey, um, could there be another way, God? <laughs> if the, is there any other way to do this? You know, sprinkle a little pixie dust. Um, you know, could, could, we, could we figure out another way? And I think, I think Jesus was, was right there in that moment contemplating the crossroads. And I think he saw you and me again. I think for the joy set before him, he got up. Man, it's powerful. I think here in this moment in the garden was, was where he conquered the temptation. I think it's in the garden right here, way before the flogging, way before the beating, way before he was nailed to the cross, way before the asphyxiation, way before all that. I think it was in this moment when he set his eyes on the prize. I think it was in this moment when, when he, he's kneeling there at the rock, and the Bible says that he, he sweated blood and, and water, and it came out. That this was such an emotional moment for Jesus, and I think it was in this moment that he conquered the temptation where he moved past that, way before all the all the stuff happened way before he was nailed to the cross I believe it was in this moment it was in the garden that he set his focus and he conquered him this uh this next limit that Jesus pushed past is rejection he pushed past the limit of rejection any of you ever felt that before rejection um there was a there was a man he was walking on a road near a mountain and uh, he saw a First Nations man lying with his ear to the ground. And as he approached the First Nations man, he heard him calling um, and, uh, and talking. And he was saying this. Uh, he was saying, Chevy pickup truck, large tires, green, man driving with large German shepherd in passenger seat, loaded with firewood, firewood BC license plate 830EJE. And then the guy, he was astounded at this. This, he was astounded at the First Nations guy, and he said, you mean you can tell all that from listening to the ground? And the First Nations man replied, ear to the ground, nothing. That truck just ran over me. <laughs> Don't we feel like that sometimes? Feel like we just get ran over by a pickup truck? <laughs> and just like that, I'm just glad that the Bible is just super honest about people just like you and me that experience pain, rejection, experienced all that, th- all, the, all the stuff that you and I go through, just like Jesus, he experienced it too. And, and I ask myself again, the why. 
Why did Jesus push past rejection? Why did he push past this limit? And I believe this. I believe he pushed past rejection uh, so that we would have someone who truly understands our emotional pain. I also believe he pushed past it so that he could provide a way for our emotional healing. Anybody know that, that you can be free, but you can be more free? You can be healed, but you can be more healed. Uh, I mean, uh, salvation's awesome, but how many know that you can walk through the cross and still carry some stuff? You can have a broken leg before the cross, and you can have a broken leg after the cross. And Jesus pushed past this limit of rejection because he knew that you needed somebody that understood the emotional pain that you're going through, and you also needed a way out. You also needed healing. Me too. Uh, Duke University did a study secular study on the peace of mind. There were different factors that were found that contributed to our emotional stability. And, and so at Duke, they, they came up with eight. And the, uh, I'm just going to read two of them. The, the, the top two, what, number one was the absence of suspicion and resentment. Nursing a grudge was a major factor in unhappiness, number one. This is a Duke study. And then number two, not living in the past, an unwholesome preoccupation with old mistakes and failures that lead to depression. And, and we see this. I think I, as I read that, I see rejection all laced through there, that, that, that the pain of rejection, the pain of abandonment. Luke 23, verse 33, says this, And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on, right, on the right hand and, and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. I, I believe the how. Uh, how did Jesus do this? How did he move past this, this obstacle, this limit of rejection? And I believe it was this. I believe it was forgiveness and perspective. Jesus was able to figure out a way to forgive, and he was able to have perspective. He, he was able to see, wait, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And, man, and, and, I, and I, I think about the response that he could have had. It could have been, he could have, like, been blaming them. Any of you ever been, don't raise your hand, but any of you blamers in here, right? You, you like to just blame everybody else for the thing, you know? Maybe it was a good blame. Maybe it's like, no, they really did it. And so you're like, I, I'm owning my blame. Right? And Jesus, Jesus he, he, didn't, he didn't blame. He didn't fall into self-pity, woe is me. He didn't get into bitterness and rage and all that stuff. He says, Father, forgive them. He's like, because they, they don't even know what they're doing. How, man, how many know that in this room that that, that that would be a good response for some of us to have? For us to be able to be like, you know what? Like, I don't even think they know what they're doing. That pain that, that I'm experiencing, that, that pain from that rejection, that pain from that whatever that was that they did, maybe they don't even know. Maybe, maybe if they were, uh, you know, aware, maybe if they just had a little more awareness, that, you know, it's like, it's like you walk through a door and you, and you accidentally, like, slam it in someone's face and they're like, oh, oh you know, their bloody nose and everything. Like, oh, they just, and you're like, like, you know, I didn't even realize I threw that door right in your face, right? And you're walking with that pain, and you're just like, man, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to get them back. You know? and, and Jesus, man, it was like all of us slammed doors right in his face. All of us did. We were all part of that. Some of us didn't even know that we were doing it. Some of you in this room, you're like, well, I didn't nail him to the cross. or uh, I, Man, I, I had no, I mean, I wasn't even alive back then. I didn't even know. And, and we, knowingly or unknowingly, we're all part of this rejection that Jesus faced. And I just love how he pushed past it. He figured out a way to forgive. And he figured out a way to have perspective. He forgives us even though we've rejected him. And he calls us to forgive others. He, Jesus experienced all, all kinds of rejection. I, I look like, like Psalm 118.22. It says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. You remember that verse that Jesus is talking about Jesus, that he was the stone. Um, it, Jesus referenced this in Mark 12. Uh, he, um, he said, uh, have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. John 6, 66. Now, I don't, I don't know how that happened there. I, I, didn't, like, I, I didn't like try to do that or anything, but it's kind of weird. John 6, 66. All right. 
from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. This was a, towards the end of a story where, um, in fact, it was right in this chapter, there was the feeding of the 5,000, there's all kinds of stuff. And, and then Jesus was talking with the crowd, with, the, with all of his followers, and he was talking about, he said something like this, maybe you guys have heard this before. He said, I, this is what I want you to do to have part with me. You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Yeah, it's right, right in there. I, I, was, I preached this on a, on, a, on a Halloween weekend one time. <laughs> that, was, that was an awesome message. Jesus said, I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood, right? And, uh, and, and so, but this was, this was huge. He was, and now, he, was, he wasn't literally talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, right? But, but he was, in fact, the whole theme of the book of John was, remember in John chapter 1, the word became flesh? And made his dwelling among us. He was talking about consuming his words and, and, be, and letting him become. It's like when Ezekiel said that he, to, to eat the scroll, right? And so, and so this, that was all that was going on. But in this chapter, those that followed him, they, they heard this teaching. And they were, some of them were taking it literal. And some of them were saying that this was too hard. And the Bible says here in, in chapter 6, verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. A lot of the people that followed him right here after this teaching said, forget you, we're done. Forget you, we're done. He was betrayed by one of the 12. He had the 12 closest. You guys remember Judas? How did Judas betray Jesus? With a kiss. Jesus like, you're going to betray me with a kiss? Judas betrayed him with a kiss. One of his uh, three closest friends, Peter. You remember that story? Peter denies him. I mean, just like a few hours before, he's like, I would never deny you. I would never do that. I, can't, I wouldn't even think about that. And then he, like, den- he denies him three times that night, and then he weeps bitterly. Finally, Jesus experienced the rejection of his father. Matthew 27, verse 46, it says this, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, uh, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I like what my friend at the Good Friday service, he read the Good Friday service, he said this. He said, Jesus experienced disconnection, rejection, and abandonment from God so that we would never have to. Jesus went through rejection from his father, abandonment, disconnection from his father so that you and I would never have to experience that type of disconnection. I love it. I... Um, you know, I came from a pretty relatively healthy family, grew up in a ministry family, not perfect by any means. Rel- I say relatively healthy, um, a couple of unhealthy moments. I'm not going to talk about them right, right now in front of everybody, you know, it's being recorded. But, uh, but I, for a relatively healthy family, I was never like rejected by a parental figure or anything like that. So I don't, I, I don't know, I, I don't understand that level of rejection. But I, I remember some levels of rejection in my life. I remember um, being rejected by a basketball coach one time. I was a sophomore in high school. And I remember um, trying out for the team. And y- you guys all think just because I'm tall, I'm good at basketball, okay? And that, you know, that's kind of being prejudiced, by the way. Um, and so, um, so, but I, so I, was, I was trying out for the team my sophomore year, and, uh, and I got cut. I got cut from the basketball team. And uh, the coach comes up to me, and he says, he said, you know, um, um, the reason why we cut you was, um, well, there's actually, there's other people that are better than you. That was, well, no duh, I guess. And he's like, there's other people that are better than you. He's like, you were better than some of the people on the team, but, um, but we felt like they had more potential to go farther. And so, um, so, you, so we just decided to cut you um, because you would probably never be able to make varsity or anything like that. I was like, oh, it's good to know. Good to know. I guess I can start planning for my uh, other career that I wanted to do. I ended up going towards drama and theater. So take that, coach. You know, you know. And uh, but man, I just remember experiencing that rejection and, and all that. And 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 uh, man, years later, I remember it coming up like in a prayer time where I was just like you know feeling some of this emotion, this pain. And I realized, man, it's because of coach. Is because of not, he probably didn't even know what he was doing. He probably was just trying to figure out a way to soften the blow and to explain the situation. I mean, whatever. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had to be a coach and let, uh, let someone down hard or lightly or whatever. And, 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 and so I, I had to forgive him. He didn't even know what he did. I mean, I never even, I, didn't, I never called him up. I never told him what he did or anything. I just said, but in that moment with the Lord, I had to forgive the guy. I had to say, you know what? He probably didn't even know what he was doing. This last obstacle um, that I want to talk about that Jesus pushed past this limit. He pushed past the limit of death. 
push past the limit of death. How many know that death is kind of limiting? I think about his motivation. Why did, why did Jesus push past this limit of death? And he pushed past the limit of death so that we would live. He wanted us to live, and, and so he died. And, and I mean, I know it's a cliche Easter saying, but gosh, it's real. He died so that we could live. He died so we could live. It's a big deal. He knew that our eternal life hung in the balance of his choice to push past the obstacle of death. It was even part of his whole purpose for coming. You remember, I think it was last week in the abundance message, I talked about this. I, I said that Jesus said, I came that you may have life and what? Have it more abundantly? It's this whole deal of life. Jesus came that we may have life. And it's a, it, it, he pushed past physical death, but he also pushed past, like, it wasn't just so that we could, like, go to heaven someday. It was also so that we could live now, so that you could be fully alive. If I were to boil down Satan's whole plan from the beginning of, of time until now, it's this, death. Satan's strategic plan from the beginning of the universe is death. Everything that Satan ever does causes death. Everything. Whether it's physical death, whether it's murder, whether it's, you know, whether it's, you know, he would have, he would cause, he would say to kings, you know, I want you to, I want you to, like, annihilate everybody that's two years old and younger. He would say that to people, um, you know, the, the whole deal with even abortion and all that type of stuff is death, right? And, and the whole deal, you know, homosexuality, I mean, regardless of where anybody's at and all this, guess what? Like, a man and a man don't make a baby. And a woman and a woman don't make a baby. It's, a, it's this whole thing of death. It's been a strategic plan. Guess what Jesus' plan is? Life. It's all about life. It's all about life. His whole plan is that I want you to live, and I want you to live life to the fullest. Probably the most limiting thing in the universe is death. Our whole Christian faith rests on the fact that he rose from the dead. It would just have been a great historical story if he didn't rise from the dead. I mean, he was a good man. He did some good stuff, didn't he? But he would just be like everybody else. He would just be like everybody else. There's a story um, uh, of a young pastor whose son was very sick and not expected to live long. And night after night, the pastor and his wife would put their boy to bed, and they would say a prayer hoping for a miracle. One evening, the boy looked at his father and said, Daddy, what does it feel like to die? The father struggled to speak a word, and he said a quick prayer for courage, put his hand on the face of his child and said, Son, well, it's something like this. Night after night, you go to sleep on the couch, and you're watching your favorite television show. You don't know it, but I find you asleep, and I come in and take you in my arms and place you in the room I built for you with my own hands. The young pastor could barely finish. And son, one of these days, you're going to fall asleep here. But don't be afraid. Jesus is going to come and pick you up and take you to a special room he's built just for you. Ah, gut-wrenching. Like our, when we think about death, I mean, we think about this pain. We think about what this father's going through. Our, our lens of death it's limit. It's limit. It's limiting. It's it's final. It's and for those of us who who have an understanding of heaven, it, it, we we still look at death, and we feel like it's it's final, it's over. Plans get cut short, dreams get altered, expectations go unmet. It changes everything. For those of us left behind, we're forced to find a new normal. There was these women that. Um, came to the tomb. Do you guys remember in the story the women that, that came to the tomb and a couple of the different gospels? And uh, so they come to the tomb and they, were, they came to grieve Jesus' death and they brought spices and things to prepare his body and all this type of stuff. And, and it was just, it's just interesting to me, the perspective, because uh, they, they came to, to grieve and to find closure. And yet Jesus had said time and time again while he was on earth, what, I'm going to die, three days later I'm going to rise from the dead. Is that the Bible you guys read? It's like time after time again, I'm going to die, three days later I'm going to rise from the dead. And, and I always find it interesting, why wasn't there a crowd of people waiting for like, Jesus to rise from the dead? Like the, like the tomb, like why weren't they like waiting there, like, like bleacher seats, like selling popcorn and stuff, just waiting for the moment? You know, like it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And, and, you know, let, let's just say, okay, the, you know, that's far-fetched, right? Well, why wasn't there at least like the 12? Why weren't they at least there just waiting for the moment? 
Even these women that came, they didn't come because they were in expectation. They came because they were grieving. And just think that it's because the mindset was that death was final. Jesus' followers saw life through that set of lenses. And, you know, he conquered the physical death, but he also conquered death so that we can experience abundant life. You know, I, I have, I'll admit this to you. I've never actually experienced physical death. You guys didn't know if you were supposed to laugh at that or? <laughs> but I've had, um, I've had times of like depression and anxiety and fear. There, there was a season of my life where um, like I would go, I, I had, I, I ran an internship program to, uh, for, um, in a church and these, and so it went like nine or ten months and then, um, and then every summer there'd be, um, there'd be a break. And it's like, it was like clockwork. Every summer when graduation happened, I would like head into this like, depression and anxiety and it would just and then you know the school year would be getting to to start and I would be like oh gotta gotta get ready and then I would come back in and I'd be alive again and stuff and I mean I've and I had to figure out how to push past all that and I'm like oh wait a minute there's a pattern here I should probably break that you know and but you know I I know what it's like to to just exist have you ever felt like that where you're just like like you might have a heartbeat you might have breath but you're not really alive And Jesus died so that you could be fully alive. I I look at this, and and you you got to stay with me for a couple minutes here because this is like, it all comes together right here. But how did he do it? I understand this motivation of pushing past the obstacle of death, but how did he do it? We we see his, his... perfect example of living the limitless life. We've been talking about limitless for weeks. Watch. We see the example. We see him pushing past with with miracles, laying hands on the sick. We see him defying limits all the time. He fed 5,000 people with a boy's lunch. That was a good one. He healed the crippled. He cleansed the leopards. Leopards? Leopards? Probably not. Lepers. Healed sickness and disease. Walked, Walked on water. Walked on water. I've tried that. Turned water into wine. He even, he, he even raised the dead. He raised the dead. The story of Lazarus. And then he gave the disciples the ability to raise the dead. I, I still wondered about this whole deal. Why wasn't there a crowd of people at the tomb? Because he even raised the dead. But now it comes down to this, his own life. It's like the grand finale. It's like, it's like the magician has done everything, right? And now it comes to this moment, this last moment, the grand finale. Watch, even my own life. But you, you want to understand something? Like Jesus didn't raise himself. Jesus didn't raise himself from the dead. Jesus was fully man and fully God, remember? And he pushed pause on his ability to be God. And he submitted himself to death. The Bible says he submitted himself to death, even death on the cross. The Bible says that the spirit of the living God raised him from the dead. This is huge. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. The spirit of the living God raised him from the dead. Jesus' only part in this grand finale was to surrender. To trust. To submit to the leadership of his heavenly father. And I feel like... Even in these last moments, he modeled something for you and I that, guess what, our only part in this whole deal is to surrender. That our only part in this whole thing, you want to live the limitless life? You want to push past the limit? You want to push past the limit of of death? You want to push past the limit of temptation and rejection and all this? He says, all you have to do is surrender. All you have to do is surrender. Jesus didn't conquer death on his own. He surrendered to the Spirit of God who breathed life into his mortal body. And it all comes together in this verse. Remember Romans 8, verse 11? But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The Bible tells us that the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and I who are believers. You know, I can give you some practical advice and self-help tools on living a limitless life. I can tell you how to go after your goals and dreams and accomplish some big things in your life. But listen, it's all for naught without the power of the Holy Spirit. And this whole Easter message, I love the fact that it was Holy Spirit who raised him. 
I love the fact that it was Holy Spirit who breathed life into his mortal body. I love the fact that I can not only walk away with salvation, but I can be challenged to live empowered by Holy Spirit. And what we want to do today in these last few moments, I'm going to invite Pastor Kelly and his team to come back. And, um, and this is what I want to do. Is, uh, is I, want us to, I want us to, one, I want us to focus on salvation. And I'm, I'm asking um, Keith to come forward right now. And he's, gonna, he's just going to share just, a, just a, a quick call for salvation. And, and I'd really like you guys to, to pay attention to this and to really take it to heart. And then I'm going to invite us to, to come forward to whether you've been baptizing the Holy Spirit once or whether you've been baptizing the Holy Spirit a hundred times. Like I, like I like the concept in the Bible that it's like you get filled and you keep on getting filled. Like, there, like there, there's more. Every single time there's more. And what, what a better thing to do on Easter Sunday morning than to walk away empowered to live this life. Wouldn't that be awesome? To walk away with, with just empowerment. And I'm going to, when, when Keith's done, I'm going to have the ushers go and get the, the children and the children's workers. And we're going to have a time in here as a family letting the Holy Spirit just blast us. What do you think about that? So could we, uh, I'm going to let him, him talk and then we're going to. You we'll know, one of the things that I think is so challenging and difficult as you sit in a plush chair in an air-conditioned, heated building, I think the biggest challenge we have here is we sit and listen to Jonathan proclaim the Word of God is this question of total surrender. You know, guys... You're, you're my family. With the exception of maybe five, ten guests this morning, you're my family, my church family. And part of me as I've sat back there thinking, you know, what, what am I going to say? What do, what do I need to say? Because the question isn't really what I want to say, what Jonathan said. It's what is God doing in your seat? And I think the truth of it is, guys, as many of you for a long time have heard, it, it's so interesting because I, I love what Jonathan said, that there should have been people at the tomb waiting. They heard, but it, it, didn't, it didn't sink to their heart. It did nothing for their heart. They, they heard it. They knew it up here. And I think the challenge we have, you know, guys, I want to be a part of a church that is the real deal. I want to be a part of a church that is the real deal. And I'm telling you this right now. We can have a pastor that's the real deal, and I believe we do. But listen, if we don't have people that are the real deal, forget it. Forget it. Because if the people aren't saved, then why would you come and want to be a part of a church where just a few, just a remnant? And the challenge is I'm just listen to Jonathan this morning is are we going to be the real deal now some of you are the real deal some of you have been born again you have experienced the resurrection you've been saved and you know that you know you have the abundance that Jonathan's speaking of you know it you walk in it but you know what Andre said I wrote down I thought it was it was right on our lives should reflect every day that Jesus is alive. That's the real deal Christian. A real deal Christian can walk no matter where he walks, whether his job is the worst environment in the world, and bring the abundance of a life that says Jesus is alive. He is in me. But the question this morning is, I sat back there, is Really, Jonathan said it when he began. He said, do you remember the moment when Jesus won in your life? You can leave here. You can say, what an Easter. Go and eat your fill and get fat on food after this service. And nothing will change Monday morning unless you can say, Jesus won in my life. It's only up here, folks. It's only up here, folks, unless you leave here every day. In fact, Bruce Kendall Bruce mentioned it. I said, you're a little late for church this morning. He said, my church is every day. And you know what? That's a real good point, isn't it? Every day. 
we walk in the resurrection that people would know Jesus is alive in him. Jesus is alive. And so I want this to be a moment, and I'm going back even two weeks. Bob Thompson, I don't know where you're at. Words have power. Bob Thompson said two, three weeks ago when we kind of had a, a breakthrough of the Holy Spirit, he said, you know, what the Lord spoke to me, he said, we need to evaluate our relationship with Christ. We need to evaluate. And so here's what I want to do. Jonathan, I think, is his heart. Not, I think, I know, his heart is two things that would happen today. If you're not the real deal, that the real resurrection would come alive in you. And that only happens through complete surrender, trusting in Jesus Christ. Not up here, but right in the heart of heart, in your spirit. If the Holy Spirit's breathing in you, you know it right now. You know it. God's speaking to you. He's saying, look, it is time to trust me. But then there's also this thing that Jonathan's talking is the baptism, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Because some of you are, are genuinely saved. And now it's time for you to walk in the abundance, to walk in the victory, to be able to conquer through the power of the Spirit of God. Friends, this morning, we can pound a stake in the ground. We can make our mark and say, you know what, this is a turning point. Because I'm going to be honest with you guys, there's plenty of times I walk into this church and it feels dead. But it doesn't have to be. The resurrection can fill this, this very sanctuary every day. But the pastor can't carry all the burden. The people have to be filled. You have to walk in it. I have to live in it. But the choice is ours. The choice is simply ours. So this is what I feel led to do, and I don't have a clue if the Spirit's leading you to do it, but I'm going to step over here, and I'm, I'm going to kneel because I don't want you to come looking at me. I'm going to kneel, and if you this morning know that you need a pound of steak, you need to surrender, you need to just give it up, just, just give all of your life to all of God then I'm just going to kneel and I won't even know who comes because it's not about coming to me, it's about coming to Christ. And then Jonathan, I know, wants to take you into this experience. Really, it's not Jonathan, by the way. It's the Spirit of God saying, okay, let's be the real deal. Let's be filled with the Spirit. Not pie in the sky, phony baloney, but let's let the Spirit of God fill us every day. Not just in our head, but in our heart and our words and our mind and our thoughts. In everything that we do and think, we would be known as, that's the resurrection. The choice is ours. The choice is ours. Now, as I do that, I'm going to say what I say week after week. If the Spirit of God is not leading you, sit, stay. But I know one thing, if the Spirit of God is leading you, I've seen people jump over pews, crawl, and they cannot sit still because the Spirit of God. So right now, what I want to do is I want everyone to just close their eyes for a moment. Not because I don't want people to see, but I want you to intently ask yourself, God, what are you doing in me right now? 